Hi, this is Bill Prater, and welcome to the Business Builders Show, where we bring experts in their respective industries from all over the planet. Our mission is to provide you with timely, provocative, and actionable resources that inspire, promote, and accelerate your quest for business excellence. Today, we're going to talk about the future of AI data-driven, personalized marketing and Eric Frankel is going to tell us exactly how to do that. Now, Eric is the CEO and founder of AdGreets, which is the industry's leading video personalization and ad tech, martech platform that's totally disrupting the nearly $800 billion advertising marketplace by empowering brands, agencies, and ad platforms worldwide to build stronger relationships with customers and increase engagement five to seven times and activation two to three times by producing and deploying hundreds, thousands, even millions of smart, hyper-personalized, data-driven video and display ads and messages versus the generic, much less activated version on 26 channels, including TV, all optimized by AI machine learning in real time. Wow, Eric, you got quite an enterprise there. Tell us, who do you serve? Who do we serve? We serve many of the largest companies in the world. You know, we're currently on a quest. The challenge with being innovative and new is you've got to convince everyone that they need to do something innovative and new. So I spent 30 years at Warner Brothers running their television and movie distribution business. And there I decided that Bill, you, me, and everyone who's listening or watching today or in the future would rather be able to press a button and watch whatever they want, whenever they want, rather than have to tune something in at 8, 9, 10, 11 o'clock. And so I went to all of my clients and people named Netflix and said, hey, rather than sending DVDs in the mail, there should be this better business model out there where we press buttons like YouTube. And everyone said, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. No one would ever do this. This isn't YouTube. And anyway, I spent a decade and convinced the industry to embrace all of that. And after that success, which of course, you know, cost me, you know, many years of my life and sweat and health. I decided before I wore $12 black t-shirts to work, I used to be the best dressed guy from Barney's. I believe they had one in Seattle. Oh yeah. Wearing the world's nicest suits, ties, luxury items. And I woke up one day and I said, even though I have this big job as a president of Warner Brothers, I don't, and I'm a an over-the-top purchaser of luxury items back then, I feel like I have no relationship with a brand because brands don't really welcome me. They don't really thank me. They send me emails sometimes that look like a letter from 1964. They send me an email that looks like a print ad from a magazine in 1986. Oh, yeah. This... This print ad that became an email went on to become the number one most popular form of digital advertising, a, di a static banner ad. Quite often, besides not being very compelling, they were also very irrelevant. Macy's ran ads that you may remember for a decade telling you and me and our wives to not miss the Macy's Super Saturday sale where we could save 40% on items like these. 
And then they would show us a dress, high heels, um, and a pocketbook. Not a bad ad for our wives, a crappy ad for us. And while they would run those ads, they were closing 142 stores and bleeding in the streets. Television commercials moved over to Facebook, Instagram. And again, it was same, all the same challenges with a couple of others that people would run the same ad for so long. And I am answering your question, I promise. They would run the same ad for so long that we would go from saying, that ad's brilliant, to that ad's clever, to if I see that ad one more time, I'm going to kill myself and I don't like this brand anymore. And then I also believed in the world of digital that brands didn't still didn't make it easy for you and me to transact. So I don't think I've been to a Burger King for a decade or more, but if I saw an ad for a Burger King today, they wouldn't tell me where my Burger King is on the west side of Los Angeles where I live. I don't know where my Burger King is. I know when I lived in Manhattan, there was one on East 86th Street. So I decided because I had just helped reinvent television that this should be a very easy assignment to do for this nearly 800 billion, as you said, category of business called marketing. And I said, we should be able to figure this out in three years and, and convince everyone. So I left Warner. I got together with the former chairman of the Walt Disney Company, former chairman of 20th Century Fox, former chairman of HBO, former president of CBS. And what we do is make hundreds, thousands, and sometimes even millions of versions that don't talk to you about a dress, but talk to you about what I'll call a, a madras button-down shirt versus my black t-shirt. And we would tell you where your Macy's is or where your Burger King is or what time you can see the movie, or we welcome you, or we thank you. And we don't make it look like this. We say, Bill, on behalf of blah, 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 we want to thank you for coming in, signing up, doing this and that, and building customer experience and customer, customer journeys that don't really exist today. So rather than you hating the commercial or the message and being upset by it, you actually embrace it, pay attention, and then you end up spending your money on it because we tell you, you know, there was a time for you and me, and maybe because you're maybe a grandparent, where having the safest car that we could put our kids in the back seat was important, much less important to me today because my kids are 25 and 29, but there's a time when that should be the unique selling proposition. Now I just want a good stereo, a comfortable seat, a big screen, you know, and hopefully a good stereo. So we're not all the same. One message doesn't fit all. So we sell this to brands directly. We sell this to their ad agencies and ad agencies who are smart and inventive and realize that quite often they're all the same, but they want to have a distinguishing capability. So we're doing this for two huge auto companies currently. And we got that through a partner of ours who went and said, not only can we do it, all the other guys who are just applying for this job, but here's how we can talk to Bill about his local Acura or Honda dealership in Phoenix versus Eric on the west side of LA versus my kid on the east side of LA and so on. And then we have strategic partners and now we've finally convinced ad platforms. So if you were watching a streaming channel that had commercials on it, you know there are streaming platforms. You and I may have Netflix without commercials, but four months ago, Netflix launched a version with commercials. So they can have a lower price tier. And even though you and I may not have ever clicked on 
Tubi TV or Pluto TV. There are hundreds of other channels out, all those little logos on the bottom of your, of your smart TV that you can play and watch all this programming whenever you want. And now we have the ability to deliver a different commercial to you than me, than my mother, than my sister, than my sons, than my wife, and so on. So those are the type of clients we have. The world is embracing this. It's been a long, painful battle, similar to the other one where we were convincing people, you know, that there should be streaming and we shouldn't be locked in to, if I finish dinner at 8.17, I should still be able to watch something. That's a very good, I like that background. Maybe you can think about a case study or something, a client, and kind of walk us through, you know, where they were, what the way they thought, you know, how they, how you found them, how you diagnosed the solution, and then what you ended up delivering to them. Yeah. And I think that'll really help our listeners understand your uniqueness. Right. So first of all, the interesting challenge of this business is multiple. You know, you're convincing. And in, you know, I like to say old habit, old ad, old bad habits die slowly. So it's hard to convince people, even though we think, oh, isn't this a digital uh, revolution that's happening? You know, most brands are still making one expensive television commercial and playing it everywhere or versions of that, so to speak. So number one is we had to raise money for this business. And that, and because I spent 30 years in a gigantic company in a division that I rode from 50 million up to close to $2 billion in revenue, I didn't have to think about, about raising money to do anything. Any good idea I had was embraced and you show your boss a plan and they say, let's try it, more or less. Here, you know, I sat there and said, oh, I have some money I've saved and I know this one, that one, and the other. And we put together money. And the first thing you learn in all these businesses, you never raised enough money. You know, secondly, then you don't know what you're doing as you build this technology. <laughs> um, challenge number two. Number three is, hey, Who's going to call on these brands, agencies, eventually ad platforms, strategic partners, and say, we have a better mousetrap? Well, you don't have enough money, so you have to do it yourself. But I'm used to selling television programs, so I could get the Bill Pratter show on television, but more easily than I could sell Acura, Honda, Walmart, Amazon, and all these other brands that have become clients my capability. So I had to learn how to meet all of them. So we are in the cold letter writing business. The first one doesn't go as well as it does 200 brands later. The first one doesn't go as well as it does when you have success stories to show. So I have a team of people who work with me. And like my boss taught me my first week of work at Warner Brothers, to be good at something, you have to read all about that business and find out who's successful and who isn't. If, if co company A reports they're going out of business, they're declaring bankruptcy, if they're called Bed Bath & Beyond, it's highly unlikely that they're ready, even though you think, wouldn't they want to do something new? They can barely keep the lights on, pay their mortgage, pay their staff, pay their bills, and all of that that they need to do. So they're not going to do anything necessarily innovative they're just trying to stay alive. But then you look for companies 
that seem innovative have success. And we write these notes to them and we tell them who we are and we explain what we do. And embedded in this email is a sample in case they don't know what the heck we're talking about. And then as you roll out more and more campaigns, you don't have to send Procter & Gamble to Ford. You show Ford something you did for BMW or something you did for another auto manufacturer. So briefly, so what we do is we pitch people all day long. You end up going over the years from about a 5%, yes, I'm interested, to about a 45%, which as you know, is a very significant number when you're cold calling strangers. You come up with systems that allow you to do this better and better. One of them is email number one, followed by email number two, followed by email number three, followed by email number four. And shockingly enough, you would be amazed how many people don't respond to one, but respond to email two, or don't respond to one and two and respond to three, and don't respond to one, two, and three and respond to four. So you can't quit in this life. It's all about perseverance. And so, you know, a success story would be a company that many people on this call may not have heard of. Flipkart. Flipkart is pretty much Walmart India. India, as many people who are listening or watching today know, is the second largest country in the world. Sometimes I do presentations to people and you can tell, as we were discussing before the call, within two minutes, they don't have a clue. They don't want to innovate. They want to keep their head down. They hope their boss never calls them and they're just waiting for one day to retire and then there are other people who want to reinvent, excel, and have whatever they do, do it better than anyone else and make their company bigger success and make them a lot of money. So Flipkart's an interesting one. We meet them. They're the largest e-commerce company in India. Um, they were privately owned, invested in by Walmart. Walmart eventually takes over the majority of their company. And I'm probably pitching a 24-year-old, I would call kid, although he's not really a kid. And within five cards of call it a 30 page deck, he, you get this like, where have you been all my life? Even though he's 24 years old, he's probably been at it for two years, if two years. And he says, this is exactly what we're looking for. We have our biggest sale of the year, equivalent to Amazon Prime Day, their biggest sale of the year happening in two weeks. And they had primarily been making one, two, three, four, five ads and we made 200,000 ads for them. And we doubled their revenue from the big sale the year before. Now, there were lots of other things going on. E-commerce is getting bigger. India was getting more accepting to e-commerce. So I'd like to take full credit, but I'm, I'm, I can't look you in the eye and honestly say it was all us. But the point of the story is from that day on, seven years ago, 365 days a year, we have been doing this with them, for them, as their partner. And we continue to pretty much every day, every month, talk to you about your Madras shirt or a refrigerator or an iPhone or an Android phone or air conditioners and everything that these giant e-commerce companies a la Amazon sell and, and make them a fortune and the company was probably worth $2 billion when we started with them. I think they're valued at probably forty, you know, $5 billion today. And that's a success story. And it's not only the sales. What happens is by showing the right message, 
you know, when you and I see things on digital, we typically have the ability to click out of it. So we're not even really seeing the message. We're watching three seconds, watching the clock tick down and going, thank God we can get away from this. But when we talk to Bill or anyone about something they care about and add relevance to it, then Bill doesn't click out because he likes that shirt that he's wearing, or he likes to travel to Seattle, or your son likes to go to Barcelona. And nothing against Cincinnati, which I'm sure is an incredible town, but I always wonder why a particular airline who I've flown many times to a major ski area that they go to in the Colorado Rocky Mountains never asks me after doing it for eight years, hey, Eric, we see you haven't booked your regular trip to XYZ, but they'll send me an ugly static message asking me if I want to go to Cincinnati for $69 or something. So, you know, we don't all like the bouquet. We all like certain flowers. And the question is, how do you, in a conversational and compelling manner, converse with past, current, and prospective customers and make them feel good? Yeah. You know, another one is no one says thank you. If you and I went to lunch today, whether we went to a diner, or whether we went to the world's greatest dining room at your country club or the best restaurant in town, somebody would say thank you as we walked out the door. But yet we could go to Saks Fifth Avenue and we could buy a $3,000 suit and nobody would say, and we wouldn't get a thank you. You know, we're trying to convince, you know, those simple things. So is it worth a penny? To send a note, say, Bill, on behalf of everybody at Saks Fifth Avenue, we want to thank you for your purchase today. And then, of course, we integrate with all of their SKUs. So what comes on screen? The blue pinstripe soup you, suit you bought. And you say, wow, that's amazing because you bought things at a zillion other places and nobody said thank you to you. So that's what we're changing. And it's exciting, as you can tell from the tone of my voice, because we change every day. We started an email, then we went to Facebook, then we went to Google, then we went to Snapchat, then we went to TikTok, then we went to apps, then we went to push notifications, and now we're starting to explode on television. And that's been the smartest move for us is our partners sell for us. So rather than me trying to get into BMW, who doesn't really have a relationship with the BMW, although we've done business with BMW, I deal with all those streaming services and they've been selling one ad. Many of them used to be broadcasters and they've been selling one ad forever. And then as streaming came along, they said, Ooh, we're going to now make our, our network, you know, we're going to take Showtime, HBO, all of these discovery, and we're going to make them into streaming services. So now they knock on the door of Coca-Cola or BMW and they say, hey, you know, you've been giving me one ad for the last 80 years. I can now run 1800 because I know where Bill lives versus Eric. And I can tell him what his BMW dealer is called versus mine or what his supermarket's called. Or I can say, hey, Phoenix, it's going to be 92 degrees and sunny, a perfect Thursday for an ice cold Coke. Get it at Publix or Kroger's or this one or that one. So that's what I enjoy about it. It's ever-changing and we're convincing the world and we've seen it go from get away from me, kid, you bother me to we've just been thinking about this. Your timing is perfect. 
that's exactly what was in my mind. Your yeah. timing is perfect after the, yeah, that's great. Yeah. So, so you've got some competitors or you pretty much got a, a, a blue. Oh, no, I wish, I wish we didn't, but I'm lucky to have a team. You know, when you get to our age, Bill, not to make us out to be old men, you've met a lot of smart people in your career. You know, you don't know what you didn't know when you were 24, right? And so I'm fortunate to work with some very talented and specifically, you know, one person who may be the smartest person I've ever met. And I've met a lot of smart people. I've met more people who aren't that smart, probably. So, so we like to think and we're able to actually lay out a chart. I mean, I'm not going to bore everyone and pull these things up. But yeah, we have a lot of unique selling propositions. So I went all in on this business. You know, A, that means I took a 99% pay cut. B, that means I put up millions and millions of my own dollars to do it. And C, I decided that I believed strongly enough, this is what the whole world will go to. So there are really two kinds of marketing out there. There are probably more than two, but there are two common ones. One is called MarTech and one is called AdTech. MarTech is more or less what a brand does, typically thought of as for free. Pushing out email, having an app where they can push out messages to you and me on their app. And third, of course, they have to have an app vendor, they have to have an email vendor, but they don't have to buy media from someone. And thirdly, is is being able to do SMS text. So we decided we started off in MarTech. And then of course, one of our clients said, you know, there's this new thing, Facebook, we should be doing this on Facebook. So we figured that out. So that's ad tech. So that's, you know, your as I already said, you know, that's your, now they call it meta, but it's Facebook, it's Instagram, it's Google, it's YouTube, it's Snapchat, it's TikTok, and, and, and so on. So number one, we're the only guy who does both. Most people, so people do, MarTech people do ad tech. Then they don't even do all the MarTech channels. They usually do two of the three or one of the three. And then in the ad tech, they normally do about three quarters of them. Now, if you're a brand, the last thing you want to do is talk to a multiplicity of vendors like myself. You'd much rather find one person you like and get along with and explain what your company's point of view and what the marketing message is and not have to talk to the email guy the app guy. Yes, you you hire a technology that you're going to use, but I'm going to plug into all of those technologies and make that smarter, more relevant, hyper-personalized message. So we do more channels. We do more versions. Then what we did, which was brilliant, which is really my CTOs, you know, I'd like to think that I knew all of this, but I didn't. And his vision was today, if you're a brand or a marketer, when you launch a campaign on Meta or Facebook, Instagram, there are guys who go in hands on keyboards and they spend 10 minutes or 50 minutes putting their campaign together on Facebook, plugging in, yes, we want this in this zip code of Phoenix, Arizona, because we have a store there, but we don't want this zip code because we don't have a store or whatever it might be. After they do all of that work, usually launching one or two ads, they then have to replicate it on the next platform called Google. And they have to say, we want to put in this zip code of Phoenix, but we don't want this other one because we don't have... And then if they care about Snapchat, they do it again. If they care about TikTok, they do it again. So what we did that maybe one other competitor does, 
is we built all of those capabilities into one interface because here, I'll just use my zip code, 90049 exists in all of them. Why should you have to plug in that zip code more than once or the DMA of Los Angeles or New York or whatever it might be? And then, so we make it easier. And then what we're able to do is look at the success of all of those channels concurrently and optimize via AI machine learning. We could sit there and say, let's put $10,000 on every channel. But within a day or two, you know, you don't know why, but people on Instagram are responding better. We should do more Instagram. People who are 45, 55, and 65 are responding better than people who are 25 and 35. We should turn that down, turn this up because we don't want to have to spend $125 to get a client. We want to, we want to get this guy to test drive our car for a much smaller amount. We might find out what days of the week, what times of day, which creative version works better. So the history of advertising has been make one commercial, throw it out there, keep your fingers crossed, run it for two weeks, two months. So now we're making an ad that appeals to Bill, which is different than Bill's wife, which is different than Bill's son, Bill's son's wife, if he has one, and, and different than me, and then looking at everything in real time. And the other thing that that cross-channel platform allows us to do is we, funnily enough, without sounding mean-spirited, all of our clients would lie to us about how successful they are. They would say, oh, when Bill sees our ad, Bill watches our ad for 22 seconds. He doesn't hit that little skip ad button. And we get a 5% click-through rate. And here's what it costs us to get a customer. And we would see what they do. And then we'd go out and do something that I think 99 out of 100 people would say, much more compelling concept all these different versions, showing Bill and I people that look like Bill and I, and showing my 24-year-old son, somebody who looks like a 24-year-old, et cetera. And we wouldn't hit the numbers that they told us that they were doing. So then we'd say, now that we have access to their account, can you go in and see what they've done historically? And we would find out, it would just, it would be like saying, I can run a mile in 18 minutes. You know, I can do 200 push-ups. All right, Bill, go down and do them. And you could do three push-ups. Um, and you were pulling everyone. It's like, so we built a retroactive analysis tool. Before we'll work with you, we go in and find out what all your real metrics are. And then we're able to set our platform to hit and beat those metrics based on all of this history. So usually within the first day, we're getting people because it's more compelling message to go from three seconds to 21 seconds. That's a seven times increase to get from a half a point click through rate, which they were telling us was a five. It was a half a point to a 1.5 or a 2.5, a three or five times increase. And then while we do that, because we turn off things that aren't working, we do it at a much lower per cost transaction. So if you can get people to watch your message and engage, if you can get them to act upon them because they watched them versus shutting them off and you spoke to things about what people like and care about, you know, so if you get twice as much sales and you're doing it at a lower price, you know, it's the double win. And so, so none of our other client, our competitors do that. And that's, you know, that's primarily it. And then 
you know, and then we're now, and then the creative platform we've built, it's both creative and deployment and optimization and reporting. It's all of those. It's, it's a system versus a piece of it. So if I was to go to a brand or an agency and drop off 1,500 commercials that we've built based on a strategy, they would get a hernia and they don't know how to load them into any system. So we built the tooling. So when I do this for Pepsi and they go to their agency, their agency says, oh, we better do this. We better not let anybody touch our account. And the person from Pepsi smartly says, how long will it take you? And they say a week and a half. And they go, well, Ad Greets, how long will it take you? And my guy says, 90 minutes. And Pepsi says, boy, it would be pretty stupid to have you waste a week and a half of time. They're working for you, Pepsi agency. This isn't the contest. They work for Pepsi and they work for you. So you oversee it because there's that whole ego thing involved. And, and we do it and it works. And people watch these ads two to five times longer than what they were doing. And when the data was right, which it wasn't, they didn't have great data. But if we knew you liked a particular football team because it was an NFL Pepsi campaign, we were getting 17 times more clicks. So we live in a world where people are excited about one in 5%. So when you're doubling or doing five times, and then on the best circumstances, doing 17 times, you know, these are game-changing kind of numbers, which is what leads me to be optimistic that the world will embrace it because you have to embrace something that improves your business that much, regardless if you'd rather just keep your head in the sand. <laughs> so as you were building your business, looking back, what were some of the big milestones that you saw, either big wins that, or, or some <clears throat> mistakes you made to learn some? Oh, we made, a, we made a zillion mistakes. So first of all, you know, I don't know. Well, I think you mentioned you play golf. You know, I don't play golf, but a lot of my friends play golf. You know, some people say you never get really good at golf or you never get really consistent. I mean, obviously some people do, but you can have good days and bad days. This was a matter of being not very good at it at first, but nobody else was really doing it. And so you're better than, you're certainly better than the one ad that's been running, but that means it could take longer. Your reporting isn't good. There's a mistake all those guys, then you get okay at it. Then you get pretty darn good. Then you get good. Then you get very good. And then you get excellent. So I would say, you don't want to know the biggest mistake. The biggest mistake we made was we would let people work with us for one month at a time. We now make people work with us for a minimum of three months. This is a shock to the system. If you've been running one ad and making one ad for the last 20 years, and now we're going to, like this week, we're launching 43,000 ads for Honda and Acura. So if you've been running one ad for time and eternity, and now there's 43,000 ads, there are a number of people in this system who are going to have to make more decisions, look at more things. And it's not the old days we're saying, guy comes in and says, here's our idea for the ads, the ad agency. And they go, we like number three. Let's go with that. And then in comes the media guy and says, we're going to need $700,000 or $7 million to sell this through. They go, okay. And then they sit back in their desk and everybody does the work. Now there are lots of decisions to make. So very often within 30 days, Bill would say, holy moly, I know we doubled our business, 
but I'm not really being compensated for this. I'm, I'm used to, to having a really easy job, and now people are asking me to work and be available for meetings all the time and to make all these decisions. Now, I equate it with someone who hasn't been to the gym since high school and decides this is the week in the month they're going to get into shape, but they're not going to do it on their own. They're going to work out with a trainer or a heavy-duty workout class. So I remember being in New York and reading about the coolest workout class that all of these models and celebrities went to, and the trainer's name was Radu. And I thought I was in good shape. And I said, oh, I'm going to go for my $25 back in those days. I'm going to take that class. And I go over there. And within five minutes, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to throw up all over the carpeting of this funny room that we're doing these incredibly tense exercises. In. Well, I didn't. I made it through the class. And by class number six, I was used to it. And I no longer thought I was going to throw up. It was always hard. It was always a great exercise class, but I got used to it. So when we went from one month to three months, because month two of this orientation is 80% easier for our client than month one. Month three is 90% easier. But if they only had the experience of month one, they're in shock to a degree, depending on their personality. Some people love it and are like, bring it on. You know, this is what I live for. And other people are all I want it to be is five o'clock so I can go home. Now I get that. I'm going to get this gray beer. That'll help a little. And we had a nice transition because now we're into my next question. And that is, what's holding you back right now? What do you think the big, uh, I don't mean necessarily a roadblock. Oh, yeah, no, it's a good question. Good question. Yeah. One is, it's still the industry understanding it. So they've certainly warmed up and gotten very friendly. So instead of seven, eight, or nine meetings out of 10 being like, what's wrong with trying to sell Bill and Eric a dress and high heels if we don't wear them? It's still like, yeah, we get this. We're thinking of this. We're looking into this. So there's a lot of that. And then I would argue that I'm not the world's best fundraiser. So, so many of my competitors, so-called competitors, who I could easily show you why we've built a better mousetrap, they were more skilled. They had other successes in the world of startups. So where I've raised less than $20 million, they've raised $200 million. Now, I think they've raised too much. I think they're too fat. We've built a better mousetrap with 10% of the monies that they've raised. It's going to, they've got a lot of work to do to pay back 200 plus million dollars worth of people. We're a giant profitable one. So I would say it's the industry embracing it and, and the fact that I, you know, that I fund this thing for the last five years, I've primarily funded it. And I have a wife who says, why are you doing that? honey, I loved you more when you worked at Warner Brothers and, and, and earned a giant paycheck. So, so our growth is limited. You know, we just have to be smarter. So I have very, I have certain very, you know, the most expensive people you can hire in my business are engineers and sales execs. So it's hard to hire as many engineers as you want. So you have to have the smartest engineers. So we have, 
Sometimes we have five people who I think are better than a competitor who at least on their website tells you they have 310, which it still boggles my mind that we do many, many more things better than these other guys. And then what I have to do is I have to find Bill Praters of the world or Prater, if I'm pronouncing your name incorrectly, Bill, and, and sit here and say, Bill, you were in this industry. I'll tell you what I'd like to do. I can't afford to pay you what was your salary, what was... But if you want to be a partner, I'll give you X cents on every dollar that you generate for the next five years. If you're friends with the marketing guy at Amazon and you bring them in, you own it. And whether you want to work it or whether you just want to make the introduction, if Amazon comes in and as long as Amazon is a regular recurring client, you could have made one intro and written one one paragraph note, you're going to... so. I've found some wonderful, wonderful people. And some of them act like they're full-time employees and work for us all day long. And I believe they'll end up making millions and millions of dollars a year because we're seeing, you know, those kind of opportunities and businesses swell, especially they're bringing in partners rather than a single client. They're bringing in a streaming platform who has 50 or 500 people selling our service and we're getting brand after brand after brand from them because they have established businesses and they're just selling an up an upsell, a better product. And, and then those clients are coming back month after month after month. Excellent, excellent. As they should, I'm sure. So tell us, how can our listeners, Eric, get a hold of you? What's the best way? Eric at adgreets.com, E-R-I-C, with a copy, with a copy to Jeremy, J-E-R-E-M-Y at adgreets.com. Beautiful. Uh, and we respond to everyone. You know, I was brought up, I mean, what amazes me the most, I was brought up, I worked for this fellow who was my father's age, who hired me, you know, the day I got out of college at Warner Brothers. And he responded to every single person who ever sent him an email, or in those days, letters. And he was best friends with the chairman of what was Warner Communications at the time who had a pool of people, you know, of assistants, uh, uh, literally a pool, who responded to every single letter they got because he was a publicly traded company and he felt it was his responsibility as a CEO that you respond. You can respond to say, thank you for your script, but I don't know that we're going to make this movie or I've passed it on to the people who make those decisions or thank you, Bill, I've sent your demo of your recording onto the people at Warner Records or Atlantic Records or whatever it might be, but responded to everyone. So I didn't know any better. And I thought that's what you do in business. So I do that to anyone who writes. It may just be thank you, but we're all set. And But I'm shocked. I told you that I get a 40, 45% response, but I'm shocked that I can, as the former president of Warner Brothers, with a list of brands that we work with, that are a who's who to find that people don't even respond or pass it on. Even worse than that, Bill, is the CEO who passes it on to someone who reports to him who doesn't care and doesn't respond. So I'll then have a meeting with the CEO and the CEO will say, I really like this, Eric. I'm going to ask Jimmy Jones to meet with you. He's my head of marketing. And because he's buttoned up 15 minutes later, I'll get an email that says, Jimmy, I met with Eric today. He's got one of the most groundbreaking products I've seen that I think would be 
incredible for XYZ company. I'd like you to meet with him. Please call him at your earliest convenience or reach out. Three days later, nothing, five days later. So then I reach out, Jimmy, nice to meet you. The CEO said, nothing, email two, nothing, email three. Because I was brought up that work without, you know, I was brought up as a, you know, as a hippie, coolish kind of guy, but I was brought up at work. It's like, it's like the army. You listen to your boss, you do what they want you to do and you report. It doesn't mean that you can't disagree or have a point of view, but I can tell right off the bat that it's not a very good company. Nobody listens. They don't listen to the CEO. There's no pecking order. There's no responsibility. And I probably won't get anything accomplished because no one cares versus the other company where 10 minutes later, Jimmy John writes me back and says, hi, it was it's nice to meet you. Jimmy, blah, 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 the CEO recommended I reach out. So it's very interesting to see the cultures at different companies to me. So we're getting to the end and I'm thinking I, there's probably a question that I should have asked you, Eric, and I didn't. So, but it probably, the answer to it probably will give huge value to who's listening to us right now. So what's the question that I should have asked and what's the answer to it? Well, it depends. It, I mean, I could come up with a lot of them. You know, one could be, you know, about pricing. So for example, this isn't, unfortunately, I don't have a small business product. I have a product that's that brands pay about 30 plus thousand dollars a month, or they pay me a percentage of their media spend, which is a better model for me. So if people are spending millions of dollars and you're getting a percentage of millions of dollars, it works out to be more than 30 some odd thousand dollars a month. I always wanted to have a version of this that your dry cleaner, your hair cutting salon, your nail salon, the auto body shop, and everyone else. I actually, you know, trademarked a brand called Bizgreets, but we've been understaffed, underfinanced, and overworked. So we never got to build that out yet. But that was one where your dry cleaner could pay $50, $100, $200 a month and get a lot of the capabilities we're talking about but it would be a little bit more templatized. You know, here's a restaurant one. Boom, let's put in the pizza logo. Let's put in, you know, Antonio's Pizza Shop, this, that, and the other thing. And next thing you know, you have a professional looking commercial, a professional looking this, and you can push it out to your 5,000 person email list and your 5,000 person Facebook list. And you could do all of the same things in a slightly watered down, you know, non-enterprise version, so to speak. So it's important for people to know that. And I'm sorry that I can't help the small business guy because that's a fascinating challenge to me. And I don't know, I guess the other thing is like, it'll cost more than you think when you decide to do something and it will take a lot longer than you think. So I'm just, I'm, I'm very, very grateful that, that we had the wherewithal. There were many, 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 many times where I would have to write a check to make payroll, to do this, to do that. And it's not because it's not a great idea. And it's not because it's a business that someone's going to buy for tens and maybe hundreds of millions and maybe even more money. It's just, it takes longer. People don't pay you on time. All of these bumps in the roads happen that if you're an executive at a giant company called Warner Brothers, you don't know and you don't feel because you get your paycheck every week or twice a month or whatever it is, regardless you know, and you're not worried about paying everyone's 
medical insurance and you know and you're not seeing even a small company like myself our 65 bills a month or whatever it is so you just don't want it to go away after all that hard work it's you know and i think you know something like 90% of these startups end up disappearing and you know so the question is is it a good enough idea that it should exist and then do you have the wherewithal to during those rough times which you will undoubtedly encounter to survive and keep the lights on. Yes, well, thanks very much for that last bit of wisdom. You've you've opened a lot of eyes, including mine today. And I love your storytelling and the examples you gave and the whole thing. So thanks, Eric, very much. My pleasure, Bill. Thanks for having me here. Okay, everybody. Now let's focus on the single fact that our businesses don't become extraordinary in a single moment. Instead, they get there as a result of the owner, you and I, first learning and then applying a proven combination of having a specific strategy for growth, of having a system for executing that strategy, and number three, leveraging high-performance teams, including outside assets, in resources like Eric, who you've met just now. Now, you can get your hands on that whole philosophy, that three-pronged philosophy. Just go to getbillsgift.com and you will find it. So thanks for listening. Eric, once again, thanks for sharing your time with us today. My pleasure. Thank you.